But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it has survived the many generations, um, that we have the privilege of being able to read it freely here in Australia today. Father, we pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts today as we listen to your word being preached. Lord, we pray that you would use it to transform us to be more like Jesus. Amen. Okay, so 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. <clears throat> For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay, keep that part of the Bible open. We're not going to jump around today. It's just the verses in front of you. And as you're looking at that verse, uh, those verses that were read, it makes you think of a bucket list, limited time that we have. What is on your bucket list? What do you have on your bucket list? Is it maybe to climb the Eiffel Tower, see the Taj Mahal, run a marathon maybe, do some laps in a V8 supercar, be able to brew the perfect coffee? What's on your bucket list? Speak another language, maybe? Learn biblical Greek so you can get behind the passage on a Sunday morning? Walk the streets of Rome? Brew the perfect beer from grain all the way through to a keg? What, what's on your bucket list? What's the, what's the things that you really don't want to die wondering, you want to, want to be able to have done in your life? I, I bet there's all sorts of interesting stuff that I haven't even thought of. But then, if you were told that you had limited time to live, if you were told that you had a month, what would be on your bucket list then? It kind of, knowing when your time is up, knowing that your time will be up, it kind of focuses everything in, doesn't it? And all those achievements and things that you want to do drop off the list and people and family come to the top of your list, don't they? 
If you knew that you didn't have very long to live, what would be on your bucket list then? I reckon things like having another gospel conversation with your friend. Sorting out that long-standing disagreement that you've had with someone. Maybe giving up your inheritance, signing it away to gospel ministry. You know, something significant like that. Maybe arranging the person who will preach the evangelistic sermon at your funeral and writing invitations in a Christian book that you send to your non-Christian friends. I've heard that one done before. What would be on your bucket list if you knew that you didn't have very long to live? It kind of, it focuses everything in. It focuses our minds on what really matters, on what is really important compared to the stuff that doesn't last. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, I reckon we've got the Christian bucket list. Verse 2 talks about how to live the rest of your earthly lives. And then when you look down in verse 7, it talks about the end of all things being near. The trick is, with this bucket list, this Christian bucket list, we're not given the time. We don't know how long. It's like you've got to be always ready, ever ready. And that's actually quite hard to do. If you know you've got a month to go, you can, you know, channel your efforts and your energy, but we don't know. So we need to be always ready always living like we're at the end. And our motivation um, doesn't come from any sense of achievement or being able to tick things off a list. Our motivation comes from looking back at what Jesus has already completed, what Jesus has already done. So number one on the Christian bucket list in this passage is to prepare your minds, and you'll see how to prepare your minds if you look at verses 1 and 2 and verse 7. Um, preparing our minds starts with looking at what Jesus has already done. So we look at verse 1, it's, it starts with the therefore. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, or a more literal way of saying that is, since Christ suffered in his flesh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Think like Jesus thinks. Have the same mindset that Jesus has. Have the same priorities that Jesus has. Jesus suffered in his body, or Jesus suffered in his flesh. Um, Jesus suffered in his humanness. He suffered the judgment of the world around. He was rejected by the world, and yet he became the cornerstone in God's kingdom. Number one on the Christian bucket list, prepare your mind, look back at what Jesus has done, and look forward to the day when Jesus will return. You'll see this, this time thing happening in the passage too, the looking back and looking forward. Have a gospel-shaped mind, attitudes that are shaped by the gospel, um, when you look at 4 verse 1, it does have that therefore there. Um, 4 verse 1 is like a bookend from 3 verse 18, both talking about Christ's suffering. And in the middle is the reminder that Jesus' victory is being proclaimed everywhere, on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Um, his, his victory is being proclaimed in the flesh and in the spiritual realms. The first half of 3 verse 18, if you just glance back there, says that Christ's, uh, it says what Christ's suffering has achieved. So verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We can come to God because of what Jesus has suffered once. We're not, not trying to repeat it at all. But then the second half of the verse is interesting. It goes, he was put to death in the body or in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I reckon it's a little less spirit there. Um, we know that Jesus rose bodily. I think what Peter's getting at here is Jesus did what we need to do. He was put to death in every earthly way, put to death in the flesh 
while being alive in the heavenly or in the spiritual. It's this idea that kind of sits behind today's passage. So 4 verse 1 says, Jesus has suffered in his flesh. 3 verse 18 says, Jesus was put to death in his flesh, rejected by the world. Our attitude needs to be like his. We look back at what Jesus has done and we want to be like him, not living for this life, not living for the things of this flesh. We're living for God. We're living for heaven. We're living for eternity. We're living for the spiritual realm. And when you become a Christian, you're finished with living for the flesh, done with the things of this world. So 4 verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his flesh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. What Jesus had already done shapes what we will do as his people. So number one on the Christian bucket list, prepare your mind, arm yourself with the same attitude, work on your desires, work on your thoughts. Um, we're not living for our desires. We're living for God's will. And as you put it that way, living for God's will, you can hear Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, can't you? Take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. 4 verse 1, the second half of the verse, because whoever has suffered in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. How are you going at the second half of that verse? I suspect, um, I suspect we do get a little bit too comfy in the flesh, in this life, the things of this world. We get so busy doing our thing that doing God's thing gets, put, gets pushed to one side. It's not easy to put to death the flesh. It takes an act of the mind, an act of the will, our actions are shaped by considering what Jesus has already done and seeking to have the same mindset. So number one on the Christian bucket list, prepare your minds. Prepare your minds, it's so important. It comes up again if you look down in verse 7. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Be alert, be prepared. Sober mind, it's this kind of self-control. You're in control of what you're doing. There's echoes of chapter 1, verse 13. Remember that passage that talks about girding up your loins you know, of your mind, preparing your mind, um, setting your hope on, on the return of Jesus and all that will happen when he returns. When you look at this, this, this focus on your mind and your thoughts and your attitude, yes, Christianity, it's not a mindless religion. Every so often there's waves of experience-based Christianity that kind of move through. Um, in my time, I've seen the words of knowledge trend fly through. You've seen slaying by the spirit became a big thing. The second blessing, even this thing called the Toronto blessing had its day. This idea that, you know, you switch off your brain as a Christian and it's all about these experiences. Um, a lack of, you know, no need to be self-controlled. Just let the spirit move you, this sort of language. That's not what we see here. For a Christian, we feed our mind with the gospel. And we want to be alert, self-controlled. We want to have the same kind of mind that Christ has. We want to be doing exactly what you're doing right now, having God's word open, looking at it, understanding it, and then working out how that changes the way you should be living. So you're still on number one in the Christian bucket list, prepare your mind. It's linked to the second thing on the Christian bucket list. If you've got the sermon outline, it's all there nice and easy. Second thing on the Christian bucket list is to say that is enough to the things of the flesh. It's related. You can see it's connected. Um, it's related and connected by a for or a because in verse 3. For you've spent enough time 
in the past doing what pagans do. It's like saying enough is enough. You become a Christian now, you don't need to do any more of that. It says don't keep doing what the pagans do, a more literal translation, don't do what the Gentiles do, don't do what the nations do. The reason is back in 2 verses 9 and 10, we are God's people. We're a chosen, his chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, a holy temple. We belong to God, and so we don't do what the world around us does. So we arm our minds. We're self-controlled. We say that's enough to living like the world around us. So verse 3 goes, um, for you spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans do or the nations do or the people around you do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. You look at that verse and you think, man, that's over the top. But all he's doing is he's just tracing out, doing a little bit of extrapolating for us. You push God to one side, and that's where you're heading. He's just drawing the dots for you, showing you where it's heading. Um, I don't know where you're at with arming your mind and putting to death the things of this world, but if you think you maybe have started drifting, then here's the reminder on the page in front of you. Say, that's enough because we can see where that drift will take you if you look at verse 3. Let Peter's description of pagan living shock you back to living for God. And then you look at verse 4, people who push God out of their lives can be very quick to mock Christians and give us a hard time for not joining in what they're doing. So verse 4 says, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Back in chapter 2, um, there was this hope of you know, living for God being a way that will you know, almost attract others to the gospel. Or in the start of chapter 3, the description of the Christian wife with an unbelieving husband, you know, living in such a way to win them over. But here in verse 4, we're being told, sometimes the world around will mock us for being Christian, for not joining in with them. And when that happens, when you live as a Christian and feel like, getting angry at those who are opposed to you, well, we need to resist the temptation to retaliate because as you read on, it's God who judges. He's the one who's in control. Um, Peter, it's like as you look through this letter, you can see the same themes cycling around and around, and that's the way it is. It's kind of this kind of Hebrew way of thinking. Um, Peter's cycling around the same truths of the gospel, kind of rehearsing the same things, looking at it from different angles, as you look at verse 5, I think as he comes around to this idea again of God being judged, he talks about judging the living and the dead. I think all he's doing is saying God will judge everybody, everyone who's ever lived, those who are, have lived their life and those who are currently living their life. God will judge everyone. So rather than retaliate when people give you a hard time, look at verse 5, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Think twice before you retaliate. Let God be the one to judge. Think about that person and what's ahead of them if they continue in the direction they're in. So when you're given a hard time for being a Christian, leave judgment to God. Verse 5, everyone will be answerable to God. And all through, God, all through history, all through time, God has continued to reveal himself to people. Um, so when you're looking back in chapter 1, the prophets, they, they saw a little bit and wanted to see more, but they saw enough to know that they should be living for God. Um, verse 6 has that sort of feel about it. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. Again, I think that's the people who have already lived. God revealed enough of the gospel to them, even in the Old Testament, even to the prophets in chapter 1. Revealed enough so that they might be judged according to human standards regard to the body, 
but live according to God in regard to the spirit. It's this idea you see back in chapter 3, verse 18, being dead to the world, judged in the flesh, rejected in the flesh, but alive in the spirit, aliens in this world, on our way to heaven, on our way to being with God. Um, and the flesh or the, and spirit contrast, it sits behind everything we're looking at today. So we look to Jesus. We have a gospel-shaped mind, and we keep saying no to the things of the flesh. Um, verse 7, as we look in the second half of this passage, it, looks, it feels like there's this big turn in the passage. The first half feels like it's talking about how you behave with the outside world. And then from verse 7 through to verse 11, it feels like it's talking about inside, in church. But there's a very parallel pattern here. It, it, you're reminded of the time. You're reminded to keep working on your minds in such a way that it will change your behaviour. The Christian bucket list we've got so far, number one, prepare your mind. Keep looking back to Jesus, having the same attitude um, as him. Number two, say that's enough to living um, like the world. Number three on the Christian bucket list, one word, pray. So verse seven, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. You kind of want to put that number one, don't you? But we're just working through the passage. Pray. That means acknowledge that God's God. Every time you pray, you're acknowledging God's sovereign. He's the one in control. You're not. Prayer's a good thing that way. Prayer is like submitting to God's sovereignty. And when you're praying, also you're talking to God who will judge you. You're talking to God, your creator. I reckon it's a little bit harder to do the wrong thing when you're talking to God. So keep praying all the time would be a neat little trick. Prayer is basic and central to being a healthy Christian. A Christian that doesn't pray doesn't exist. The most basic prayer you pray as a Christian is the prayer of repentance, where you say, look, I'm sorry, God, for ignoring you. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice in my place. Please. Help me live with Jesus as my Lord. Sorry, thank you, please. It's the most basic Christian prayer. It's the kind of prayer you, you, you pray to become a Christian. It's the kind of prayer we keep praying as Christians because we keep sinning. But we can talk to God about anything. And we can talk to God about everything. Above all, we should be praying that God's will would be done. So I don't know about you, but when you look through your, your list of things you're praying for, is it shaped by your bucket list, your Christian bucket list? Are there lots of names people that you're praying for. When you think about um, the way we pray in growth groups, some weeks growth group prayer time is amazing. Other weeks it feels like you're pushing custard uphill with a toothpick. That's the way we are as sinful human beings, but keep persevering at it. Um, if you're not the kind of person who's comfortable to pray in growth group, have a go. Just a short, simple prayer, that'll do. Because as you pray together in a group, it encourages the rest of us to keep praying and to have a life that is full of prayerfulness. I mean, how are you going in your private prayers? I find one habit or one pattern will work for a couple of months and then change it up, do something different. You might be the, same, the person who's been doing the same thing for 30 or 50 years. That's fine. I reckon keep sharing with each other how you keep praying. It's a good thing to do. So on the Christian bucket list, 3 verse 7, prayer. When you look back at 3 verse, uh, sorry, that was 4 verse 7. When you look back at 3 verse 7, you'll see for the husband there, the big thing for him is prayer. 
Stop putting things in your own hands. Stop trying to fix it yourself. Pray. Put God first. 3 verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. We're not going to make any um, headway in putting to death sin if we're not praying either. Um, Number four on the Christian bucket list, as you come into verse 8, I've kind of made the bucket list simple and short by only having four things on it. Love in verses 8 to 11. I've kind of grouped together a few things here because I think you can and I think it makes it easier to remember. So verse 8, he says, Above all, love each other deeply, or a more literal translation, love each other constantly, which you'd have to do deeply if you were to love each other constantly. It says, because love covers a multitude of sin. He's saying, don't stop loving each other because love covers a multiple of sin. It sounds like he may be quoting Proverbs 10, this idea that um, love being able to forgive each other and keep moving on and keep loving, covering sin in that way, letting things go, apologizing, moving forward, loving like that. If you think, um, as Peter focuses on love again, if you think you're repeating himself, I've already said it, he is. If you look back at 1 verse 22, love is important there as well. The same themes are being wrapped around and around in this letter, and love is so important, he's back on it again. And so, yeah, how are you going at loving? How are you going at loving brothers and sisters in Christ? How are you going at loving people here in church or at night church? I think we get tricked into thinking that love is an emotion or a feeling, You look at this passage, it's not. Love is an act of serving, of doing. There's some marriage counselling for you as well. We're not called to love those who we want to love. We're called on to love all God's people. That means loving people you don't like normally, but they're Christians. God's put you together. You need to learn to love in serving each other. Don't look it up, but in your own time, have a look at 1 Corinthians 13. Um, The Apostle Paul has lots to do to describe love. He says in in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Love isn't an emotion, it's what you do. Um, It is not proud, it does not not dishonour others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil but uh, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. That's Paul describing love. I like Peter's description. Love covers a multitude of sins. He's just short. He's to the point. He's saying all the same things in fewer words. My guess is we can all keep working at loving and loving better. Um, Peter breaks love down, so uh, verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's another way to show love. Offering hospitality, don't simplify hospitality down to hospitality. This is like hospitality in terms of being welcoming to people, inviting people into your life, sharing with people. When you're doing something uh, after church on a Sunday, invite people to do that. With It's just being bringing people in, that sort of hospitality including people is what it is, even including people that you don't get on with. And it says, the second half of the verse, without grumbling. I like Peter's honesty. Show hospitality, include people in what you're doing without whinging about it, without complaining about it. Um, 
if you were to make, it seems wrong to suggest this, but if you were to make a list of the people you don't get on with at church, I wonder who'd be on it. <laughs> They're the people you need to learn to be hospitable with, without grumbling. And then he unpacks love a little bit more in verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace or his gifts in, very, in its various forms. Um, like um, Peter on love, um, I like Peter on gifts too. It's so short. You can read all of 1 Corinthians and have chapters and chapters on gifts. In the end, Paul says love's the most important thing. But here's Peter, nice and simple. Use everything God has given you, every ability God's given you to serve. Be a good steward of the gifts God has given you. There's no you know, checklist to work out what your gift or gifts might be. Don't worry about checklists, just do it. Serve. Use what God's given you. Be a good steward. And then verse 11 breaks gifts down into two subheadings, still keeping it so simple, speaking and serving. That's it. So verse 11, if anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. You're not doing, you're serving, you're not using your gifts to impress, you're not using your gifts to be able to tick off a list to say you've got that gift. You're doing it because you're serving each other as you serve God. And the end of verse 11 goes, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Please don't get obsessed with what your gift might be or what your gifting might be, if you like new words. It doesn't matter. Focus on living for God. Focus on serving one another with everything God's given you. Focus on being hospitable. Focus on loving. Focus on praying. And as you do that, God will give you the gifts you need to serve his people. God will give you what, what you need in order to serve or in order to speak. So today's passage started back up in one verse, uh, 4 verse 1 by looking back at what Jesus has done. Then there's the reminder of the times we're in, times limited, verse 7. Um, use the rest of your life well, it's saying. It's like giving you the Christian bucket list. And as you look through the Christian bucket list, I've put four things on it. Number one, prepare your mind. Number two, say that is enough to the world. Number three, pray lots. And number four, love. Um, this bucket list, it's not like any other bucket list you'll ever make because you never tick anything off. You keep working on these things. This bucket list isn't like any other bucket list because you don't know when the end is. You're working on this bucket list all the time so that you're ever ready for Jesus' return. We know that Jesus will return because when you look back at the end of chapter 1, the word of the Lord endures forever. He is faithful to his promises. Jesus will return and so chapter 1, verse 13, we set our hope on the grace that will be brought when Jesus returns. And we let that shape our whole life. I'm going to pray for us, and hopefully there's plenty to keep talking about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the many ways that we ignore you, the many ways we push you out of our life, the many ways that we live without thinking in a gospel-centered way. Lord, we are sorry. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death once for all to bring us to you. We thank you for the amazing way that his death deals with all our sin and gives us a clear conscience before you. Lord, thank you that you rose Jesus to life again as ruler over everything. Lord, please help each of us here today. Help us to trust in Jesus. 
And please help us to live with Jesus as our Lord. Father, we pray that we would be ready for Jesus whenever he returns. And as we pray this way for each other, uh, we pray for friends and family who are not living for you. Lord, please give us the motivation um, and the lack of fear and whatever else it takes to keep sharing the gospel with them, we pray. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.